Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, guys, so we were in, in chapter 16, and we had talked about uh, basically uh, through those first 18 verses, we had identified a couple of things. Uh, one was that uh, the children of, uh, of Israel, uh, the Hebrews, had now been uh, outside of uh, slavery in Egypt for roughly a month. They had left on the 14th day of the first month, and now it's the 15th day of the second month. So they'd been outside of Egypt, uh, outside of the, the clutches of, uh, of Egypt and Pharaoh for a month. Uh, at this moment, they had journeyed into an area that I call the Desert of Sin. Uh, some translations would render it, others, Zen. Um, and in this place, they were growing hungry, and the scripture says that they began to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And last week we touched about, because what the scripture actually says is that, uh, it says, Hosea says, the whole community grumbled. So in chapter 15, when they didn't have water, it said, and so the people complained. Uh, so it looks like there's an escalation. It goes from some people complaining or the people complaining to the whole community grumbling against uh, Moses and against Aaron. And we briefly addressed, as you guys know this to be true, the infectious, contagious nature of complaining. Right? I mean, it is contagious, man. It, it, it can spread it, it's, uh, like a spiritual epidemic. They can sometimes set in, and, and, and every one of us, and I mentioned this last week, have the capacity to be complainers, every one of us. I was just complaining this morning to Blair about my left knee hurting. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I talked to my, uh, my son-in-law the other night, I said, uh, you know, my, my left knee is giving me some issues and whatnot. And he said, well, you know, what do you think it is? I said, well, I know what it is, and I mentioned this to Blair this morning, I'm old. I said, I, I got old in my knee, it's what it is. But we all have a, a tendency... Uh, and, and a, a propensity to complain, right? The other reality is that though we are carriers of that or other things, whatever it is that we're carrying, we have a tendency to spread that. And that's just one of the things we need to keep in mind, that we, we can have a, a positive impact and become a carrier of positive things, or we can become a carrier of of negative things. We can infect people in a positive manner. We can infect people in a negative manner. We know this to be true, right? You've had people do the same thing to you, right? You've had people, you're like, man, I want to be around those people because those people really energize me. I always leave those people encouraged. And then you know the other sect, right? Where you're like, I can't distance myself from those people enough. And it's not so much those people, but their attitudes and their dispositions are such that every time I'm around them, I feel the very essence of my being being sucked from me. You know what I'm talking about. And so we navigate life at times uh, using that as measures of where we want to find ourselves. And so the people of, uh, of, uh, of Israel, the Hebrews, uh, grumbling against Moses and against uh, Aaron, but what the scripture says five times, the scripture says that it isn't Moses and Aaron you grumble against, but you're grumbling against God. Five times that is mentioned in this chapter. Your grumbling isn't against men, your grumbling is against God. And then God intervenes without any repentance. Now that's a, that's a marker for mercy and grace, isn't it? That God steps in, he interjects himself, he provides with the quail and the manna without the people ever repenting. 
You know, the scripture says that uh, his goodness leads us to repentance. This is a beautiful demonstration of how God steps forth. He makes the first move in redemption in a sense that he actually provides for the grumblers. Not so much for me. I'm, I'm not quite that way. I have a tendency. If I'm around grumblers too much, I, you just, I'm done. You know what I'm talking about? Being honest. And so uh, he provides for them. But there's a little caveat to the provision. The manna is there. God provides that. But he says to them, each day it is your responsibility to go out and to gather for your daily need. So the provision is there, but the responsibility to consume the provision rests upon each individual to go and gather. We talked about gathering. And uh, the scripture also alludes to, and we'll pick up, we'll move on now into this week's message, that uh, they gathered in proportion to their need. That's what the scripture says. And we touched on the word need, and it means lack. So first of all, one of the things they had to understand was, what was their lack? How much was my lack? Because that was going to, to determine the degree in which they would gather. So we closed the service last week asking God to reveal to us, to show us, to illuminate our thinking, what is my lack? Because I may not be gathering enough. You know what I mean? I may not be gathering enough. And so we need to know what our lack is before gathering, that we might gather according you know, to the proportion of lack. And so that's where we find ourselves. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray and then we're going to open up the word and we're just going to ask God to speak to each of us through this scripture that you may not have ever considered uh, this particular scripture to be that scripture that God is going to speak personally to you in the place that you're at. But I believe he will this morning speak to each and every person here if our, if our ears and our hearts are open to hear, Jeff, to hear. So let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we've gathered here as brothers and sisters. There's no greater, there's no lesser. There's no one exalted, there's no one demeaned. We gather in your presence because we understand our lack. We understand it. And so, for Father, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds that we might receive from you this morning that we too could gather again this week understand what your word is saying and may it empower us strengthen us and lead us lead us enable us to navigate the difficult places of life and in so doing honor you and in so doing expanding your kingdom it's in the name of Jesus we ask this and we pray amen amen okay turn with me to Exodus chapter 16 we're going to read a couple of verses that we read last week, but we're not going to cover those verses, but we're going to read them just to make the transition into this week's text a little, a little more fluid, okay? Can we do that? Exodus chapter 16, 17, 19, Clark. And this is what it says. 
It says, the Israelites did as they were told. And what were they told? The people are, are, are told to go out each day and gather enough for that day. It says, some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. First verse this week. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. He said, everything you gather today, none of this is to be kept until morning. And he's establishing in this moment, and this is a truth and a principle that you and I need to embrace, and that is the daily involvement of God in our lives and the daily provision of God in our lives. God isn't one to abandon us tomorrow to where we have to take everything that he has today assuming that he will not be found in the next 24 hours. God is a God who is actively involved in our lives each and every day. As a matter of fact, I think these are three simple truths that you and I need to understand built in this idea of God's daily provision. And one is this. God is absolutely sovereign and he is aware of the needs of our lives daily. You need to understand this, Mom. Ashton will need to understand this as he grows. Secondly, God is present and absolutely accessible in our lives daily. And third, God is active and involved in the matters of our lives daily. Understand this. He is sovereign, he is present, he is active. As a matter of fact, all three of these elements are addressed when Jesus is addressing his disciples and how to pray. As a matter of fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 through 13, this is what that scripture says. When they asked you, could you teach us to pray? This is how Jesus responds. He says, do not be like them, speaking of the Pharisees and Sadducees, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Sovereignty. Sovereignty. He knows. Then He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, accessibility. He is present and accessible. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, and we're talking about the activity of God and the involvement of God in the matters of our daily lives. This is what he says, this is what Jesus says. Give us today. You can't pray that prayer tomorrow. You can't pray that prayer yesterday. That is a prayer that is, that is equipped to bring you into the presence of God today. He says this, give us, you see the provision, you see the activity of God, give us today our daily manna, our daily bread, forgive us. Look at this activity of God in our lives daily. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see right there in that prayer, these principles are being established that have actually been established long before the prayer that Jesus just uttered. They're being established right here in chapter 16 when Moses says to them, do not keep any of this until morning. 
However, the scripture says, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Now, the implication is what here? There's the obvious, but there's another implication here. When it says some of them did not pay attention to Moses, it's implying that some of them did. Correct? Would that not be correct? Would that not be a correct assumption? If there's a separating amongst the masses that some did pay attention or some didn't, that it would obviously lead, lead you to the conclusion that there's a separation of obedience and disobedience amongst the group. Right? Which implies what? Irregardless. And Carrie hates when I use that word. She says, Trent, you should use regardless. I said, both are applicable. I'll move on back to the scripture. What it's basically telling me in this scripture is that you and I have a choice regardless of what anybody else decides to do. If no one else, if, if everyone else is part of the however, some of them pay no attention to Moses, that doesn't mean you have to be that person. It doesn't mean you don't have to listen. Each and every person has the, the privilege the privilege to make an individual decision of obedience regardless of what the masses do. And that's what's playing out here. Some didn't pay attention, but some did. It may have been some in the same house, some in the same small sect of their community, their gatherings. But you and I have a personal decision, a personal responsibility in how we respond to God. It doesn't matter if your husband's obedient. That doesn't mean that you have to be disobedient or vice versa. It's a personal decision, individual decision, obedience. And then this is what the scripture says. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now listen. Sin is, disobedience is like that, right? Right? Disobedience kind of produces a putrid type of a, a spiritual odor in our lives. I don't know how many of you all have read the book by Frank Peretti, The Oath. Has anybody read that book in here? Marissa, I knew you had read, I knew. Janelle, have you read, who, who else has read The Oath? All right, if you've if you read The Oath, you understand uh, uh, this putrid expression of odor, Right? Right? And how, and, and how they, uh, Peretti connects it to sin. And so disobedience has a tendency to produce that in our lives, Luis. It just does. A, an odor that is putrid. And so it produces, this disobedience produces a smell as well. And then the scripture says this. It says, so Moses was angry with them. Now, the incredible thing about this scripture, or insightful part about this scripture, is that Moses never really expresses anything out of that anger. Matter of fact, we transition pretty smoothly to the next, very next verse. So it's just kind of a commentary on the heart of Moses and where he was at in this situation. And so Moses was angry with them. And you understand why Moses was angry with them to some degree, right? Right? You understand that, don't you, Wes? 
He's looking at them and he said, why, why don't you be obedient? And we're kind of reading between the lines right there, but we're trying to apply just a normal base response to a normal person, that being Moses, when he's looking at the people, and then all of a sudden, listen, man, if we split it 50-50, obedience, disobedience, that's a lot of maggots and rotting manna. The stench that must have been uh, uh, rising from the area in which they were, were camping must have been hideous. So you know everyone who was obedient, who had consumed theirs, who had no stench, was looking at the stinky people going, what are you doing? Right? Because now your stink has invaded my place. Now, do I need to sit on that one for a while? <laughs> Do you understand? Understand? Sometimes your house is stinking because of you. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. If I can do so with my stinking kids, everything would be okay, right? Maybe it isn't your kids. Maybe it's some of your own stink. Maybe it's some of your own disobedience that's producing an odor that's affecting other people who are even walking faithfully with God. Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about the reach of your disobedience into the lives of those who are following and pursuing God? How, how many times your, your disobedience has shortened their endurance of faith? Has, 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 has created barriers for them? As a dad, I, I say to you as a dad, oh, I don't want to create a barrier for my kids. I don't want the disobedience in my life, Brandon, to produce such a stench in our home that it's difficult for Clark to pursue God, difficult for Taylor to pursue God, uh, 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 render my effect upon and my influence upon Ivy's life as my granddaughter, uh, uh, that my disobedience would impede her progress. Tim, we don't want that, do we, brother? We don't want that. We don't want that, do we, Ronnie? I don't want my kids looking back somewhere down the road in the midst, in the midst of their own uh, calamity and failure and saying, Dad, this started back then when you allowed an odor into our home and the deterioration and the decay began to set up then. And what you're witnessing now is a direct byproduct of that choice, Dad. That would be heavy. Heavy. You guys know the story. You know my father was an abuser and a drunkard. The anger and the volatility that he demonstrated in his life, the stench of it stuck to me. And I began to grow and I was volatile and I was angry. But thank God. Thank God, through the blood of Jesus, the washing in the blood of Jesus, Miss Kathy, by his almighty grace, was my father's stench removed from me. And we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that. And the scripture says right here, so Moses was angry with him. Now, can I give you a little insight to another reason why he could have been angry? And man, I may be looking too deep into this, but I know it's been born in my own life, Jeff, so 
I think if it's been born in my life, it's probably been born in your life, Kevin. If it's this. The scripture says in verse 18, everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. If they gathered as much as they needed and didn't consume it, then they left the provision of God on the table and instead of being nurtured, nourished, and well-fed, they chose, because of a lack of trust in God's provision, to go to bed hungry because they had gathered what they needed, but they didn't consume it. Oh, Ronnie, how many times... How many times have we gone to bed hungry? We've gone to bed spiritually famished, malnourished, emaciated, spiritually speaking, because the very thing that God had provided, because we didn't trust for the provision to continue, we let it sit on the table. And not just sit on the table, waste away on the table. Not just waste away on the table, but to create an odor in our lives. Maybe it was an odor of, of hunger. I keep going back to a, the parental mindset, Luis. I can't help it. I, I see God sometimes now through the eyes of a father. You know, I can't help it, you know, I... Before I became a father, I, it was hard for me to see that, Jay. And then when I became a father, man, it just kind of illuminated in my mind. I, I, I think of providing for my kids and the meal being set before them and then Clark waking up the next morning and saying, Dad, I'm so hungry. I couldn't sleep at all last night. I was so hungry. And me saying, but son, I, I set a meal on the table for you. I provided the meat and the taters. And his response be to me, but I didn't know if you would do it again tomorrow. So I went to bed hungry so I might be able to eat tomorrow. Oh, as a father, I would look at him and say, Son, don't you trust my love for you? And I believe in that moment there's an element to the, the anger in Moses. Was because, and it's simply because I believe that Moses was looking out amongst the people saying, do you not trust? Do you, why go to bed hungry? Why? When you have a father, a God, who loves you, who provides for you, who cares for you. So you understand, maybe, the frustration of Moses, the, the turmoil, the vexing, the, all that happening. And I've seen you, I've seen you hungry. I've had conversations with you. And the spiritual hunger pains ring out from behind the words you speak to me. How you doing? I'm doing all right, and all I can hear is hunger. You can hear it. You can see it on people's faces. How's the family? We're doing good. Oh, I'm hungry. You can, all, you can literally 
It just permeates the atmosphere. So Moses was angry. Then the scripture says this. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed and when the sun grew hot it melted away. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Isn't that kind of weird? Why is that? Why do you you want to report this to Moses? I think there's basically two conclusions. One being the, the provision on the sixth day was so greatly disproportionate to the provision on the other days that instead of letting it waste out there, they gathered all they could, but out of fear of Moses and of God, because they knew Moses had become angry, they report to Moses. Because if you read the scripture, they've not yet been told or explained to about the Sabbath. That hadn't happened yet to the best of our knowledge. The other conclusion is that Moses had communicated this to the leaders of the communities, as one translation would say, and other translations would say, to the elders, and once the people gathered twice as much, then the elders who did not know what was going to happen at that moment then comes to Moses and says, we've done this. Either situation explains this outcome. Either situation, both po- possibilities would explain them informing Moses. Upon informing Moses, the scripture says, he said to them, now he says this to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now all of a sudden the directions kind of change, don't they? You remember the first five days? God's got this line, don't save this stuff. Then all of a sudden this new directive comes and God says save this for tomorrow. Obedience and disobedience in our lives isn't always a moral dynamic. Obedience and disobedience in our lives isn't always connected to a moral crisis. When God says to you speak and you don't speak, that's disobedience. There's nothing wrong morally with speaking or not speaking, but there is something disobedient about it when God is directed. If he says to speak and you don't, or if he says don't speak, guilty. How many of you are guilty? When he says don't speak and you speak, It's disobedience, right? That's not a moral dynamic there. But it is an obedience or disobedience. And sometimes obedience and disobedience, and this is the reason we need to be sensitive to the spirit, Kevin, and sensitive to God's word, is in the details, Jay. Sometimes we have to be in tune with God because God is leading us. And there's times in his leading that we're going to have to take a hard right or left. Things may change, shift. The moral law of God never changes. The direction of God in getting to that may change. And so we have to be sensitive. Everything I've done in the past in following God may not be the thing God wants me to do in the future. As he's leading me, 
as he's instructed. Had he not intervened and given them new directions, then they should not gather anymore. Do what God had told you the last thing to do. That's where you need to be. But when he gives you new insight, you have to move with God. And so he says, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Right? Exodus chapter 16 Verse 4 and verse 5 basically illuminates or opens up to us some of the motivation behind this change. One of the motivating factors was the fact that God wanted to give his children rest. You need some rest, don't you? Ben sitting over his back broke, staples in his head. He needs some rest. You know, some of you aren't sitting in, in so obvious in discomfort as Ben may be. But that doesn't mean you don't need rest. Mom... My, every mom in this sanctuary needs some rest. Every dad in this sanctuary needs some rest. Every son, every daughter in this place who's dealing with a culture in which we're dealing with, you need some rest. And that was part of the motivation of God in this. He wanted to give his children rest. Man, they're in the desert. This is a tough journey. The provision is there. It doesn't make it any less tough. The walk of faith can be tough. And God's wanting to provide for each of us a rest. Angela, you need rest from time to time, don't you? You ever want to go to your boss out there at Acabono and say, I need some rest. I need a day off. I need rest. That was one of the objectives of God. The second objective of God was he was testing them, right? That's what the scripture says in, in verse 4 and 5. It says, in this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. You know what the testing is implying right there? In the Hebrew, it literally means to prove. You think he's proving it to himself? No, no, no. When God's proving something in us, it isn't about revealing it to him. He already knows. We've already determined that. He's sovereign. He knows everything. The proving and the testing is to expose us to us. The proving and the testing is when that old spiritual mirror is set before us and we see who we really are. There's times, man, we, we get a little high on ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. And so he was, he was doing this. And so the scripture says this. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Why is that? The other days, it, it's no longer disobedience. It's no longer disobedience. So the same factors that were at play in destroying the composition, the deterioration factor, the sin, right? That's what sin does, right? Disobedience does. It's death. It's the deposit, the, the, the birthing of death. It's not involved in this process at this moment because it's not disobedience. It's obedience. As a matter of fact, not to gather may have produced an outcome similar to what they had experienced earlier in the week. And then this is what the scripture says. And he says this, Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Now you think they wasn't watching that? <laughs> Listen, man, every time I take a piece of bread out of the loaf, I don't know how, I'm, I'm, I'm weird, I'm weird like this, Brooke. I, I'll take a piece of bread out of the, that, that loaf, Anybody else out there does that? Anybody else? Okay, I'm not the only weird one. Okay, we're a church full of weird people. I take it. 
And you think, man, when that time wasn't passing, you think no cats wasn't picking up that man? You know they were, right? You think they wasn't eyeing that, watching it, keeping it? He said, and it did not sting or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord, and you will, find the, you will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. All right, and we're pushing to closing, okay, guys? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Nevertheless, even though God had spoken to them, nevertheless, nevertheless could be the starting phrase on the commentary of most of our lives, right? You know, nevertheless, God tells us something, nevertheless, nevertheless, Jeff. And the scripture says, but they found none. The least shocking text or statement within the text, they found none. God had said there would be none. But I'm going to go out there looking for it, right? The least shocking statement in the text was the fact that they found none. Anthony Evans Jr., as we were doing our study on parenting, he said something. He said, not following God's word has proved the truth of God's word to me. You remember when he said that? That's exactly what he said. He literally said, God's word has been proven true to me when I've not listened to it. And here these cats go out there. You can imagine this, right? They go out, nevertheless, they go out and they're searching. 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 How long did the searching last before anyone realized, hey man, there may not be any man out here to be found. How long have you been searching in a place you shouldn't be searching for the provision of God where it hasn't been placed? Because you're living with a mindset of nevertheless. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm smarter. Nevertheless, I'm more educated. Nevertheless, I've been down this road before. Nevertheless, 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 that we find ourselves out there exhausting ourselves, looking for God's provision in a place that God said there would be no provision. And we think if we look hard enough, Jose, we can find it. Like a needle in a haystack. That we have to hunt, pursue, dig, trifle through to find God's provision. And you know what we do in doing all that? We do what they did. You know what they did? They lost rest. They lost rest. God had ordained this day for these cats to rest. The young, the old, the healthy, the not so much, whatever. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, God had ordained it to be a day of rest. They don't trust God just like previously. And what do they forfeit in this situation? They forfeit rest. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Rawal in the Hebrew means to see and understand. He said, understand this, see this. That the Lord has given you a Sabbath. You know what he's saying? 
I'm trying to give you rest. I'm trying to give you rest. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Moses is explaining this. Hey, guys, he wants you to rest. That's the reason he gave you twice as much on Friday, because, man, he wants you to have the weekend off. When the sun sets tonight, rest. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So that the people rested on the seventh day. And let's close as we read this last little bit of scripture here. Verse 31. Thank you, Clark. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like it was white like coriander seed, tasted like wafers made with honey. Hmm. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. All of a sudden, God's given some instructions and some instructions regarding a memorial about this experience. You know what God is saying as he gives this instruction? He's about to say to them, remember. Remember. Take an omer of manna and keep it, in, keep it for the generations to come. One omer, one serving. sustained divinely by God. And he says to take it, take it, and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. Listen to this. And as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant of the law. This is prophetic. This is something that happens later. So that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years. This is something coming. Until they came to the land that was settled, they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And then verse 36, odd verse. And Omer is one-tenth of the ephah. He said, I want you to remember what's just happened. This has been six days of obedience or disobedience and a day where I wanted to provide you rest. I want you to remember this week. Remember this. For some, Ronnie, when they remember that, you know what they'll remember? They'll remember the stink of disobedience. Some will remember the, the fatigue of forfeited rest. You know what others are going to remember? Full bellies. Rested backs and rested bodies. But it was upon each and every person individually. Their memory would be connected directly to their obedience or their disobedience. 
This was such a significant thing. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, the writer of Hebrews says this pertaining to that experience. Now the first covenant had its regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. You know what was under the mercy seat? You know what was under the mercy seat? You know the first thing he mentions to be in the Ark of the Covenant Though he mentions Aaron's budded staff, though he mentions the stone tablets of the covenant, you know what the first thing the writer of Hebrews mentions that's under the mercy seat? He said this ark contained the gold jar of manna. That one omer that God had directed them to collect and to place into a jar. It was so important to God for them to remember his provision and the forfeiting of it in the cases of many that it's placed in the ark. It's placed in the ark. You know what the ark represents? The very presence of Almighty God And he said, in my presence, I want them to remember my provision. As I get older, I'm going to have to have somebody, I'm going to build me a little stand right here. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. I don't know decisions you're making today last week. I don't know how hungry you are. I don't know exactly how... I don't know exactly when you last ate. But I can say to you with the utmost confidence and deep conviction in my spirit, Some of you are looking hungry. And some of you are looking tired. And what God is the provider, if we're willing to be obedient, to listen, and to follow him, we neither need to be hungry or fatigued, exhausted. Because there found in him is divine rest, Monica. Jeff said, rest. Rest in our soul, rest in our body. So, I close this message. We close chapter 16. And I simply just ask you, how hungry are you? How tired are you?
can't feed you, and I can't carry you. But he can do both. He can do both. So just stand with me for a moment. Just and so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to pray for you guys. Brother, sister, hey, I'm just going to pray for you. We're going to leave 100 hops in way today, but in, in no way, shape, or fashion are we leaving the influence of God. He's sovereign. He's everywhere. He's accessible. He's active. He's so as you're leaving here, I don't know what you're wrestling with in your heart and your mind. I don't, I don't know all the details. I, I don't really want to know the details. And you don't want to tell me the details. But God can be trusted with my ugly that he can be trusted with your ugly. <laughs> Praise God. So would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, in Jesus' name, we just want to be who we are before you, God. This is who we are. This is who you know us to be. We do not front you. We do not pretend. We're not pretending. There are no, no facades. We're before you as we are. You know our hunger and you know our fatigue. You know how the world has sucked us dry. The fuel light is blinking. Low fuel, low fuel, low fuel. And for some of us, Father, we're running on fumes this morning. And we're gambling on the last two or three miles. But we don't want to do that this morning, Lord. We don't. We want This is the nearest fuel station for us. This is it. You are here now. And so, Lord, we don't want to be hungry. So I want to take what you're offering. I want to take what you're offering. I don't want to be tired, fatigued, wore out, exhausted. I want to take the rest you're offering. Father, I can hear the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So, Father, we cry out to you this morning. In Jesus, nourish our spirits, the bread of life, that Jesus. Oh, may we consume him, Lord, this morning. In Jesus, may our nourishment be found. Father, forgive us for seeking and searching out other avenues of spiritual nourishment when you have provided for us. You have laid before us a table. 
a table whose contents has been provided by the sacrifice of our King, your Son, our Savior. A table built on the blood and body of Jesus. You have provided that for us, and Lord, we receive that this morning. We receive that. We ask you, O oh Father, through your love and your mercy to grant us a place at the table as we receive the provision for our lives that's found in Jesus. We accept that gift you've given us. We embrace the gospel, the message of Jesus, that he's paid for my sin. He's paid for their sin. He's come to save us, to redeem us. But not just that, he's come to give us life and to give it to the full. Huperec parasos. The full, overflowing, flooding. Huperec, give it to us, oh God. Parasos, give it to us, oh God. This morning. And Father, if we wrestle with you, may we not prevail against you, but your spirit prevail against us and your word prevail against us. I pray, Father, for every person who's wrestling with the decision to give you their lives completely this morning. I pray this week be a week of wrestle, wrestling, a restlessness. As you seek to give them rest and their resistance becomes exhausting. I pray this would be the week. And they would look back like your children look back. And they remember the Omer of manna. They remember that week. May this week be a week of like manner for my brothers and sisters here at the Driven Church. So I bless each and every one of them, oh God. Draw them close to you this week. Speak to their hearts and their minds. Heal families, heal marriages, heal bodies, heal sicknesses, heal hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God, in Christ Jesus said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.